Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we talk about something that I kind of ran into when I was building my world and introducing it to other people. It's the fine line you walk between believability and realism. So I've been obviously working on my world. I feel like we're always working on our worlds. You know, we're always world building. We're always trying to make it more interesting. We're trying to find those little niches that... um, when somebody plays in that world, like that's the thing that they remember. Uh, like for instance, with your world, Valkaminar, where the it was, I think it was Valkaminar, wasn't it? Where the the water was in the sky? Oh no, Serengeth. Serengeth. Wow, what was that? No, Valkaminar is under underneath. Valkaminar is a uh, is a, a subterranean. Right. It's the uh, it's the Wilderdark. That's Valkaminar. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Serengeth. I don't know why I got those confused. So like that is the thing that you tend to remember the most. You know, when you're just when somebody's like describing your world, like oh yeah, the water's in the sky, and then suddenly it wasn't, and now it's a big thing. Yeah. So there's um, this curse, and it's an anti-gravity, and there's all this stuff, and it affects everything. But it, there's yeah. science. Wait a second. There's science fiction in your fantasy. That's what's gravity. That's ridiculous. What is this? That's unbelievable. That's so unbelievable. Gravity and fantasy. But that got me thinking of how much is too much because I want the game to feel realistic. I want the game to be to feel like it's uh, it's been lived in. You know, it's just not fresh off the presses out of a D and D module book. Um, but I also want it to be kind of believable as well. You know, so when they try to do something, that action um, has a you know an opposite and just. Oh shoot! What's the what's the, the positive? Uh, an equal and opposite reaction. Equal, equal and opposite what? reaction. You know, and it needs to make sense. It needs to be believable. So, let talk to me about what that line is um, from a very basic kind of macro view, and then we can kind of dive into like the nitty gritty and like how what I'm wanting to do is going to completely destroy everything and make the, and make it terrible. All right, you said two words that are kind of at odds with each other when we're talking about designing a story to play a game in. Um, and that's, you said, how much realism is too much, but I want it to be believable. Perfect way Correct. to put that, by the way. I know that you're probably calling back on some of my previous um, stuff, but I hear it all the time. That's not realistic. You know, they used to do this. They used to load bodies up on carts during the... Uh, the black plague and, and oh so yeah that's bring out real your dead. yeah that's, that's right that's realistic and it's like yeah yeah they used to do that on earth in the 1400s or 1300s yes they used to do that here absolutely but we're not on earth this isn't used to this is an ongoing thing where we're locked in a stasis in a fantasy setting where i can summon forth a flame on the tip of my finger matches are unnecessary a lighter is unnecessary we have magic for that right so um that's not realistic at all that i can do a simple zero level spell and produce a flame on the tip of my finger so we don't want to use those realistic things very much but or do we like you said you want to make it feel um 
gritty and believable and stuff. Absolutely, because that's how we're going to relate to the player at the table. We're absolutely wanting to relate to that player and make you as a player feel something and understand this game world that we're in and uh, you know move through it as the character and make decisions based on those feelings from that character's perspective. So is it realistic? No way. But to make it believable, we have to earn it. Um, so what I mean by earn it is I was talking to another dungeon master today, uh, or actually might've been yesterday or I don't remember when it was. It was at some point I was talking with another dungeon master recently. Sometime and, previously from now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to pack this bowl and I'm trying to do this and I'm probably stoned enough, but we're going to pack this bowl anyway. So I was talking to another dungeon master recently and he said, um, so I've got this problem. And so the characters encounter this dragon and then they find out and the dragon, you know, it doesn't kill him or anything. And they, they encounter him and he, they find out that he has supplanted the king and there's all this stuff going on. And then there's like this evil race that comes in on the spell jammer and helps them save the king and all this stuff. And so he's got a dragon a supplanted king, spell jammer with a magical race. I'm in. This game sounds great. And I said, what level are you in? He said, fifth level. I was like, fifth, oh. fifth level? That sounds like end game. That sounds like the very last session. What do you mean, where do you go from there? Where Down. You go down from there. <laughs> you, you start new characters after that. Yeah. Like, where do you go? Like, how many sessions are you in? Six. He was six sessions in man talk about blowing your load right up in the front okay so i like everything that you have here i like i like that you have a dragon that we can converse with and talk to rather than just that's a great start man because usually dragons come into the picture and it's all about a fight and he's True. got something going on with the king why did you tell him within the first couple of sessions that he supplanted the king and everybody else believes the king's still in in place Drag that out, man. Do have all kinds of things going on. You know, you've got a bad guy over here in this dragon who is, you know, working behind the scenes and you ruin and you have this relationship with the, the player characters and you ruin it by giving it away right away. How many sessions did you go before they met a dragon? How many sessions between did you because there wasn't enough. There just wasn't enough. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn these wild, fantastic things with believable things. So if we, if we want to relate to our players and we want them to buy into these concepts, sure, you can just shove them into the middle of a fantastic, mystical, high fantasy, high octane situation. Cool. Okay, then what? Then that's, your, that's what you're setting the expectation for the entirety that of time that we play together right. now. Okay. So every combat is going to be a lich and a riding a beholder or a, a fucking dragon set of twins with, uh, with mind flayer friends. You know? So as a, as a player, when I hear those things by session five or six or whatever it is, I would just assume that those are just everyday occurrences. Those are spell jammers flying all over the place and there's dragons or a dime a dozen, you know? So 
then those things aren't fantastic. So what, like, what are you going to do after this? You know what I mean? That's a, yeah, that's a damn good question. What are you going to do? Because we didn't fight. How many kobolds have you fought? And why did you start at fifth level? So you could do this, right? Man, you missed out on the prime character building. I, and I, I'm going to go back to Game of Thrones real quick. Because I remember the first time someone told me to watch Game of Thrones. And I, and I said, that sounds like a soap opera for nerds. Um, and you it, say that like it's a bad thing. And it is. Uh, it's exactly what it is. Don't get me wrong. I love Game of Thrones, but I didn't I didn't buy into the hype at first. Oh, um, sure. I didn't okay. want it to be good. Everyone loved it. People that wow. didn't like fantasy yeah. loved it. And I didn't want yeah, it to dude, be Yeah, dude, my dad. My dad called me. He's like, are you seeing this Game of Thrones? I was yeah, like, like, what are the you fuck? watching Game of Thrones? Mr. Weather Channel and History Channel is all I need to Mr. the day I die. Submarine like, book, man. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this from the guy that told me Red Oct- Hunt for Red October was the greatest movie I ever saw. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's okay. It's a, it's a good movie. Don't get it's me wrong. Movie. I like the I like movie. Sean Connery. He's like... Yeah, sure. So, so man, we got off track. <laughs> so Game of Thrones, the first time I watched it, there was a White Walker and I think one of the opening scenes. And oh, I was like, yes. I was like, oh, cool. So there's going to be like these monsters. Yep. And then... Uh, that's foreshadowing and then it just moves really slow and i was like ah i don't know if i have time for this and then people talk me into watching it and then so i watch the whole first season and i get to the end and oh my god mind blown what the and and, you know i was hooked i was hooked for five or six seasons i was absolutely hooked because they took the time to buy buy us they bought my attention with all of this building up and background and character development and scene setting that and I'm not asking you to do mundane, mundane things in your game world and I'm not asking you to waste your players time with six episodes of you know where did Jon Snow come from and who was Tyrion Lannister but you got to do some of that to earn it and you can do it with smaller fights in between but those times when you're fighting goblins and kobolds and things like that what you're really doing is giving time to develop near-death situations and moments for players and characters to come together as one and moments for those characters to learn each other's habits that way when you do get into these high octane situations um, you've earned that high octane situation and we've led up to it. We foreshadow it with a white Walker in the first scene. You learn a lot about the characters as we grow. That one white Walker was a near death experience where someone did die and it, we were scared out of our wits. We couldn't think to fight it. And now 20 sessions later, we're fighting against a a king or a dragon, or we've learned about this lich or we've heard of a beholder now if you do it that way when it comes up you've taken this cosmic horror and shoved it into a very believable not realistic because we all agree that spells and cobbles exist but a very believable world then something fantastic happens to shatter that reality and when that happens and things are shooken up um, it means something it really does because if you give somebody a norm and then you change it all of a sudden, then therein 
is your hook. There is the cool part. Whatever that cool idea you had is 10 times cooler if you if you led up to it properly rather than in session two going, okay, you meet this black dragon and you guys talk. And then the next so time you- you talk to the black dragon, you find out that he's puppeting the king. Like, man, whoa. Slow down. So what do you think is the the reason for that then? Like, uh, what's the... If you're... I mean, I can understand if maybe if you're playing a one-off and you're like, you know what? We're going to make some badass level 10 characters. We're going to put you guys in a grisly fight and we're just going to make it a one-off. Okay, that's fine. But like you were saying, this is... Uh, this, this person's in session six, you know? So we're... You know, we're already, what, 24 hours in of game time in, roughly? Ish, yeah. So, what do you think it is just a thing of wanting to excite your players, trying to keep your players engaged? So, your knee jerk, wow, I I call it a knee jerk reaction, but it was obviously sat down and planned, is to throw dragons, is to throw spell jammers, and then, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that. Especially if we're veterans of Dungeons and Dragons, which I think um, at any given table, you're going to have all levels of experience. And that can create the need or the want for something different or something more. Like, I've already fought kobolds. I've already fought goblins. I've already fought orcs. Um, or my player has, I'm a new DM, and my player has been playing for 10 years. He used to play when it was fourth edition or third edition and i just want to show him something different that i'm super creative you can be super creative and you can take tons of liberties and you can even do that with kobolds i remember um way back in the day um i had adventurers who started off at first level was actually in serengeth one of the first adventures one of the seeds of my world had kobolds in it which there are none now but um that's a whole history thing we don't have time for that but <laughs> that's back, a different podcast that's a different podcast back when there were kobolds in my world before that that change um there were large kobolds seven hit dice kobolds uh right. half hit dice kobolds and all sizes in between so but that was there was a whole storyline going on and um I earned it. I didn't just say, ah, hey, here's a fight with some kobolds. And guess what? Their leader is seven feet tall and looks like he's on steroids and wielding a large two-handed battle axe. That wasn't the first encounter. That was like session eight or something that I did just that. Uh, And then I then, you know, turns out that there's somebody experimenting on these kobolds. And he's a he's a necromancer, and he's infusing them with this undead energy, and they're actually alive with this undead energy that's twisting and mutating them, and so I earned it over. That was about twenty or twenty-two sessions that 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 the game ran, and eventually they caught up with the wizard, Drek Malifus, and they they come confronted him and fought him and and uh, sent him to a different plane of existence. So I didn't just go, ah, session one, massive kobold, session two, there's a crazy wizard. Now where do I go? Yeah, because, I mean, it really is, regardless of what your imagination can come up with, like, there's always that ceiling that you're going to hit 
And if you're shooting for the stars that right out of the gate, then yeah, you're going to like the game is going to become boring and yeah. mundane mm-hmm. at that point. Cause seeing those things now in a third or fourth session, isn't that big of a deal. It's all about pacing. Um, you set a tone and you pace just like a book or a movie or a series. Notice that game of Thrones doesn't start off with this big white walkers fight. We wanted to do that in season eight. We didn't want to do that in season one. We wanted to tease you a bit and, and have all these things going on and build for you, build this excitement, build. Some people don't even believe in white walkers. If I tell you that some people don't believe in white walkers, but other people do. And then the first encounter is with white walkers, then none of this mystery or wonder is there. You don't all those scenes where someone tells you they don't believe it and then I can't make yeah, you question pointless. it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they're pointless. You yeah. just cut out all these really cool scenes where someone very influential influential tells you they don't believe in this monster. And you don't know, you've never seen one, but you believe it because that's what you've been told. But now someone even more powerful is saying they don't exist. Now you get a chance to question it for a couple of sessions. And then somebody comes in and they're injured and they say, they describe something that could be that thing. But really it sounds more mundane. And so now you're inclined to believe that it wasn't this monster. And and then later on you encounter one and you can, oh my gosh, they're real. That's a cool moment. That's a really cool moment. And it doesn't even have to be a crazy fight. If you have, If you've earned that moment, then just just giving them the opportunity to see this monster that was fabled or disbelieved by many, it turns you into the person who has to go back to town and say, no, they do exist. And then maybe you don't get believed. And you, so you have to search out the person that told you that they were true to begin with. And, you know, so there's all kinds of things that you can do in order to earn these moments. But you do have to build up to them. You do have to pace yourself. You don't want to shoot your wad too early or she won't marry you. Trust me. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's not true. Even some people like You're everlasting shrimp. You just got to be able to go a few rounds longer than most. Um, and yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah, so yeah. The, married, the way right? you mentioned so. that, the, the way you, you <laughs> the way you say that, um, it actually kind of reminds me of a similar situation, which is magical weapons. You're not going to just going to give a magical weapon to in session one. No, you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't. It just. I mean, you can, but then like, who cares at that point? Like, you're either having to beef up the enemies that you're fighting, or you're just you know you're mowing down people left and right. And and again, as you like that kind of thing gets boring fast. Yeah, if you're in session yeah. one, and we fight, let's say you learned your lesson on pacing, and you fight kobolds. And you're like, ah, yeah, and we go and we go into the cobble village and we wipe all the kobolds out in this village. And then there's treasure and there's a magic sword and a magic potion and a magic wand. Now, every treasure that we find that doesn't have magic in it is shit to us. Yeah. So why not the treasure be a golden goblet? It's worth 20 gold pieces or 30 gold pieces, but give it a history and give it some rich story behind it and some symbolism that when you bring it back, it means something. That's a victory. Uh, Then later on 
in a few sessions, we can give our first mundane magic item and make it feel special and, and give that and give that a story and a history and kind of a, a mystique about it. And then a very simple magic item can become, can feel powerful. It can feel important, especially if people want it because it's so valuable. And that's the thing. These magic items are nearly priceless. If you, if you work and you're an artisan, you make something between two and maybe six silver pieces a day. So says the book. Um, right. So if you're really good at what you do, you might make a few gold pieces a day. You're wealthy at that point. You make 20 times more than what, or 15 times more than what your standard laborer will make. So you're fairly wealthy. Now we're talking about magic items that are worth thousands, like your whole life savings. Well, so that I feel plays into, again, part of like the believability of uh, this conversation we're having, but also just being able to relate it down to um, something that is common in our world. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's like being gifted a $80,000 sports car. Yeah. That you just found on the side of the street. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's. And I and I've played in games like that where it felt a little off kilter because something like that happened. And then when you try to discuss it with somebody later and they're like, no, that's no big deal. And I'm like, no, that's a very big deal. That's like me finding a one eyed giant like living in my garage. That's a big deal. Like yeah. <laughs> the ramifications and the possibilities are, are are out of this world. And you're acting like it's it's no big deal. Like that's there's no. That part of the realism, that part of believability, I feel just falls to understanding what you said, what is really at stake. Like what what is what is really the odds of this happening? Right. So when we watch movies and I, I might date myself when I go back to like the uh, the Jade Idol or the Jade Monkey or whatever it was, like old 70s or 60s James Bond stuff. So these these are relics that are merely valuable monetarily and they have a mystique about them if we would put those items in D&D the things that happen in the movie are very minor these aren't very powerful effects and there's no reason that these can't mean something they meant a great deal in these movies these cursed items or whatever they often mean right. a great deal and like even Indiana Jones and they did some of these yeah, things they belong in a museum yeah and they're very valuable um, and maybe the curse is cool and has these big effects. Regardless, there's one of them, and it's the plot of the entire story, the whole yep. movie that we're watching. It's all about getting that one artifact. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a several-session game when we talk about an Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's a few sessions. That's not just a one-off. Right? So those those scenes would take I know it's only uh, an hour and 35 minute movie or something but those scenes would take us much longer to play 10 times longer so you'd be talking at least a few sessions for one of those movies yeah. and the whole thing is about it so why not take the time to develop the story you have all this opportunity you're missing and you have these really cool ideas with the way the way a dragon and a king are interacting and the way that that dragon interacts with the party and the way these magic items can have backstories and purpose and histories. They will. 
If you make magic even just a little bit rare, then when you come across an item, it will have a story. It should have a story. It should have um, an air of mystery about it or an air of mystique. You know, do fuel that because those things are just as cool as taking a big baddie like a dragon and putting him in the king's throne secretly. Very cool idea, man. Love the idea, in fact. It makes me want to write a module based on it. That's how cool the idea is. So that's the whole movie. That's that's a trilogy. That could be the whole trilogy. Maybe in the first book, at, at the end of the first few sessions, um, maybe five or six sessions, you, you meet the dragon. You have a chance to talk with it the first time. Second one, you develop a relationship with the dragon. It goes several sessions again. Um, you find out there are rumors and uh, things about the king that aren't that no one has seen the king in a while or they saw the king and he looked different there was something off about him he doesn't go through his normal routines anymore whatever the case may be and then you can find out just at the end of the second book the dragon has supplanted the king and now the third one we have to rectify the problem and we have this great big arc where it's not about where do we go from here because you've just played 18, 20, 30, 40 sessions of this brilliant that's an epic story yeah that's a big one yeah and we can be 12th 14th 15th 16th level by the end of it if we want to if we play it out long enough then dragons we are on the proper tier to fight against this you know adult or venerable dragon um we've earned it as players i've earned it as a dungeon master to throw that huge challenge in front of you and everybody's happy at the end. And you're going to talk about that campaign for a long time. But when it takes place in just a few sessions, what is next? The players want to know too. What's next? We just fought a dragon. What's next? Yeah, I feel like it's it's all it's just all about pacing. You know, like I, I, you can have all these ideas, and you have to think too. Like this isn't one sided. It's just not the the the, the GM you know telling a story the players are being involved as well and making decisions but again and these are things that we've talked about reining your players in you know not railroading them but making sure that they have obstacles to stop them from uh, proceeding in a certain direction if you don't want them to and that kind of thing like it all kind of just breaks down to um, the basics of just you know patience and pace of the game yeah and you know a lot of that's going to come um especially if you're playing with a newer group or a newer DM there's you're going to build that trust and have conversations between games with your players with your DM with other players um, and talk about how things are going and let it be okay for somebody to uh, not necessarily criticize but offer their two cents and as a, as a GM it can it can come off as criticism when somebody says hey you know uh should we be fighting a dragon at sixth level? And then the GM has to say, you're not supposed to fight the dragon. Oh, why are we even talking about this? You're criticizing me. Right. You know, it's not, it's not like that. You know, if, if, even if the player comes across as rude, which it could happen, um, I could play in a game where I'm not very happy with the game. And then when I finally get up the courage to say something to the GM, I don't say it very well. And it comes across as rude. You know, why not break that, break these barriers down and find out what's really going on? Well, what, 
what what don't you like about it and um or how can i make you happier as a player as a gm and it could very well be that your players are used to that pace where it's like well we fought a dragon we fought a troll we fought a lich we fought a beholder i've never fought a mind flayer can we fight a mind flayer like you might have that and that shows that that player comes from that school that that's what they've done each it was like monster of the week right where maybe they didn't have time to play a lot and that's what they they wanted uh but if which you is want, fine yeah and that that's is a fine, fine game and and i'm not going to throw any rocks but if you want like to tell a better, if you want to tell a better story and you want to really get like because if we look at the, the the modules that perform well i'm going to tell you curse of strahd is a pretty cool story yeah it's pretty cool man it's not just cool encounters with cool monsters it's that too but it's a cool fucking story and it's executed beautifully and the pacing is wonderful so keep those things in mind be like curse of strahd have good pacing have interesting plot lines um and interesting fights even if your players have fought against some of the monsters you might face in previous campaigns if you pitch it at them in a new light if you give it a different history you do it in a new way it can still be fresh and new and it can still be unique Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.